Looking again at verses 1 through 10, Jonah chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to read that passage of Scripture. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, Going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This morning I want to talk to you about revival. We've titled this message, Revival Begins by Spreading God's Word. I want to remind you again that we are using a book um, written by Sinclair Ferguson, called Man Overboard, that is kind of a launching pad for these messages, and you can pick that up from Banner of Truth Publishing if you desire to do so. But we're, we're going to talk about revival this morning. Now, I know that we have uh, some parents that are here with us this morning, and I know uh, personally, as a father, that there are times I allow my children to choose their own way long enough for them to feel the pain of that decision because that's what you do sometimes as a parent this is how God is dealing with Jonah in the book of Jonah like a father deals with a child who has made a wrong decision God allows Jonah to feel the pain of that decision to feel the misery of that decision He had made Jonah feel that, which will force Jonah to learn some necessary lessons from it. God had broken Jonah's spirit of rebellion, but he still is acting like a father here. And the sense that he says to him, basically, now this time, go to Nineveh and do what I tell you. Interestingly, as we read through this, the Lord says something a little different to Jonah this time in Jonah chapter 3 than he did the first time in Jonah chapter 1. He had first said in Jonah chapter 1, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
However, this time the message uh, to Jonah is a little bit different. Uh, here are the terms that God gives to him. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And this time, God says, and call out against it the message that I tell you. You see, the first time it's clear why he is to call out against Nineveh. However, this time the Lord tells him to call out against Nineveh the message that he tells him to call out. In other words, God is looking for total obedience from Jonah. The matter, the message that he gives him to deliver. And so, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh was a large city. It says it was three days' journey in breadth. However, Jonah had barely covered a third of the city streets in the marketplace. It says he had gone a day's journey before God took hold of him and Nineveh through him and shook them to the roots. The language is not a barrier to communication. Either Jonah's message from God was, was simple. That's, that's, it was just a simple message. We read here, it says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And from that message, the people of Nineveh experienced a revival. And the remainder of the chapter gives to us a description of how the people came before God and repentance and faith. From the king to the beasts in the field, Nineveh was filled with a spirit of repentance. Now some scholars will say that there is no evidence of a revival ever taking place in Nineveh. And they will say within a few generations of this supposedly happening, the the Ninevites would overrun the people of God. And so there's no evidence of a revival ever happening. And they argue if there was a revival, then it would be impossible for them to overrun the people of God. And, and that objection lacks any kind of spiritual support, and it lacks historical support as well. Because, you know what, we can look to places that have had revivals similar to Nineveh's, United Kingdom, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. All of them had revivals very similar to that of Nineveh, with remarkable changes in the people, and yet all of them became memories of the past. Within just a few generations, very little is remembered in these communities that were once visited by God in a great revival. In fact, those who have experienced a mighty revival in their land may even be more hardened against God in the generations that follow. The presence of the Spirit of God is a delicate matter, more so than we think it is. I have no hesitation that a revival took place in Nineveh. And I believe that Jonah chapter 3 gives us an accurate description of what happened and it records it for us so that we can understand more about how revival actually takes place. And with that said, let's understand something. We need revival today. We need revival Today, I just tell you that America needs revival. Our nation needs revival. You know, there's a lot of talk about our nation. And we like to say things like America was founded on Christian principles. But can I tell you 
That doesn't matter. We need revival today. Without revival, there's little hope that the multitudes of men and women, boys and girls outside of our churches, will ever hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you do not believe that, then I challenge you to go on a bus and take a ride maybe through the housing developments in Peoria, Illinois, or go and knock on doors right here in Washington, and you'll be convinced that we need revival today. Listen, our cities and our streets are full of people that don't know Christ as Savior. Sometimes I wonder what would happen if a preacher went into the inner city and wandered the streets for three days crying out. I wonder what that preacher would find. G.K. Chesterton calls it the absence of God. Psalms calls it God is not in men's thoughts. Many have never even heard of Jesus Christ. They do not go to church and many have never even been invited to church. They maybe have never even met a true Christian. Right here in the United States of America, there are few Christians who ever even make any kind of effort to to communicate with anyone the gospel of Jesus Christ. For some reason, we have convinced ourselves that the sum of Christianity is to come into church and sit in a pew and never reach out with our faith to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And that's why I personally believe that the majority of our churches in America are lost. That they don't really know Jesus. Because they just come and sit and soak and sour. We can run around saying it's someone else's job all we want. But if we're not sharing the gospel, we're not doing our job. If we're not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no hope of this lost world being one to Christ unless God penetrates the hearts and lives of people and His presence is felt amongst the multitudes. And that's really what happens when revival comes. There's a sense of God's presence. People know His presence is there. Revival often comes when the church begins to take revival seriously. When, like Jonah, the church is awakened to the need of men and women who do not know God, the church needs to wake up. We get so busy in church life doing our things. We get busy going to church and we get busy running and jumping through all the hoops of religion and patting ourselves on the back and thinking that we are good Christians because we've done what we're supposed to do. And men and women are in this lost world dying and going to hell right outside the doors of our churches while we're busy patting ourselves on the back thinking we've accomplished something. And we get real good. Christians get real good of being just like Jonah was. We turn a blind eye to the needs of the world and pretend like we don't see them because we don't want to see the needs. We never ask people if they know who Jesus is and we never talk about Jesus in front of people. In fact, I would venture to guess in a town like Washington, Illinois, that we probably think that every person in Washington, Illinois has heard about Jesus. After all, we have all kinds of churches here in Washington, so surely every person in Washington has heard about Jesus. And sure, we may not say out loud that it's someone else's job to share the gospel because we know that's not the proper thing to say. 
But by our actions, we prove that it's someone else's job. Let us reflect on our lives this morning. Let us ask ourselves, when was the last time I actually shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time that you, as a Christian, actually had a gospel conversation with anyone? You actually sat down and talked about the gospel with someone. With anyone. And I don't mean that you talked with someone that you already knew was a Christian. I mean, when was the last time that you actually shared the gospel with someone that you knew was not a believer? You see, church, either we believe the gospel or we don't. Either we believe the Word of God or we don't believe the Word of God. And it's not good enough for us to think that we just come to church and that's all we're supposed to do. That we don't find that in Scripture anywhere. But we do find that we're supposed to be sharing the Gospel. And the church has failed to be a witness. We've failed in our duty and it's time for the church to wake up and cry out to God to come and touch the hearts of people in His sovereign mercy. We need a revival just as much as Nineveh needed a revival. We need a revival in America today. But here's the thing we must understand. Jonah was not sent to Nineveh when, with any kind of promise. None. He didn't go to Nineveh with the assurance that anyone would or would not respond to the message that he was supposed to give to them. He was sent to Nineveh as an evangelist to proclaim what God had told him. God didn't say, you do what I tell you to, and Nineveh's going to respond, and the whole city's going to be saved. He didn't say that. He just said, you go and proclaim what I tell you to proclaim. He was commissioned by God to herald the message. He was there to fulfill his role as a witness. He was to proclaim the message that God gave. And church, I'm here to tell you that revival is needed and we can get sidetracked on all kinds of junk and we can get sidetracked on on all these things and we can over-spiritualize all kinds of stuff and we can talk about, you know, church music and we can talk about our church building and we can talk about this, that, or the other. But revival is needed and in order for revival to start in the first place, the Word of God must be proclaimed. Not the psycho babble that we hear being proclaimed from pulpits today, but we have to proclaim the Word of God. And that's when revival starts. Revival is needed. And we should pray for it. But the divine command of Scripture is to preach the Gospel to every creature. That's the command. And we must be obedient. And for this reason, we should look at Jonah chapter 3 and we should try to learn from Jonah's spreading of the Word of God what did Jonah bring to the people of Nineveh. What did he bring to them? Well, the message is simple and clear. The message is simple and clear. The message that Jonah delivers should stand out to us. He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, boy, I wish pastor's sermons were that short. We don't know if that's all he says. And it very well could have been all he says. These words could be a summary of what he said. Perhaps 
He said a lot more. Perhaps he told them the reasons why he was there and the reasons why God's judgment was coming. Maybe he told them exactly how it was that he arrived there. And he knows whatever the message uh, is, whatever Jonah's proclaiming, I think the point to be driven home is that it was direct, simple, and clear. Even if he had spoken at great length, there was no doubt about what he was saying. They knew what he was saying. There is something good for us to pick up on. And important for Christians to recognize that when it comes to spreading God's word, sometimes I have to remind myself of this as it's easy for me to get on a hobby horse. And I'm, I'm not saying that we don't preach theology and doctrine because these things are vital. What I'm saying is that, that when it comes to spreading the word of God, we should not fiddle around with, with things that are not focused on the proclamation of the gospel. We shouldn't get sidetracked from proclaiming the Word of God. Let's focus on the Word of the Lord, not the Word of someone else. Let's proclaim God's Word. Our task as followers of Christ is to teach God's Word and truth to others. And God can use us. He can use what we say. And He can do it out however He pleases. But we have a responsibility to take His truth and make it as clear as possible. And sometimes sometimes we lack clear thinking. Or we do not have a grasp of God's Word at all because we rarely spend time in God's Word. And there's times that because of that it makes our witnessing confusing. If our witness is, is confusing, then it's not presenting the basics of the Gospel. Most likely, we don't really understand ourselves the basics of the Gospel if it's that confusing. I'm not saying we memorize some sort of canned presentation, nor am I saying that being grounded in proper doctrine is not essential. In fact, I believe the exact opposite. I believe that when we are grounded in proper doctrine and theology, and we thoroughly grasp what the Bible teaches in relation to its doctrines, it allows us to share a simple and clear message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is especially true for pastors and teachers of the Word of God. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians. He writes this, But we have, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, refused to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. When Paul says that, but by the open statement of of the truth in that verse. It's, it's in essence the, the privilege of a, explaining the Scripture to other people. It involves getting at the heart of God's Word and brings the truth of it out simply and clearly. It means that you look into the heart of the listener and you apply the truth of the Word of God to their lives in, in a way that demonstrates their own need of God's grace and, and how God's grace can come and help them. It's the idea that the message is simple and it's clear. And Jonah learned this lesson from God. God spoke to Jonah in simple and clear terms. It was direct. It was understandable. Even though it was direct and understandable, Jonah was still slow to receive and apply the lesson. So church, we, we need revival today. The message is to be simple and clear. And thirdly, we trust in the power of God. We trust in the power of God. You know that there's books out there that tell you how to manufacture revival? 
You know that? There's books out there that, that you know, talk about if you're going to do a, uh, maybe you're going to uh, have a big crusade in Washington, and it tells you about, okay, at this time you have this many people come down the aisle, and you manu- try to manufacture revival, and you try to play with people's emotions. There's books written about that. If we want to see revival, we trust in the power of God, not the power of man. It can't be just manufactured. We trust in God's power to accomplish. Look at the effect of Jonah's preaching. It was obvious that God turned the words of Jonah and used them. He used them as arrows that pierced the hearts of the people. Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. No doubt they must have believed Jonah, but the point is they did not feel as if it was the voice of Jonah. They, they heard what Jonah was saying, but they heard what God was saying through Jonah. They recognized the voice of the living God. Have you ever heard someone speak and you knew it was not them speaking. I mean, it was their voice. But you knew the Spirit of God was making the Word of God run through the heart of that preacher straight to you. You ever, you ever heard something like that? And I personally believe that should be the goal of every preacher. That when a preacher stands in a pulpit and preaches a sermon, their goal should be that the Spirit of God runs through them. I don't want you to hear me. As a pastor, I don't want you, oh, pastor, that was a that sure was a good sermon. I mean, that's fine if you want to say that. I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear what God's Word says through me. I don't want you to walk out of here, oh, wow, you, pastor, you're sure a great preacher. I don't care about that. I want you to see God. I want you to walk out saying, wow, what a great God. Listen to how Ian Bounds puts it in his book, Power Through Prayer. He talks about unction. He says unction is that indefinable, indescribable something which an old, renowned Scottish preacher describes this way. There's sometimes somewhat in preaching that cannot be ascribed either to matter or expression and cannot be described what it is or from whence it comes. But with a sweet violence, it pierces into the heart and affections and comes immediately from the Lord. We call it unction. It is the unction which makes the Word of God quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of a soul and a spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is this unction which gives the words of the preacher such a point and sharpness and power and which creates such friction and stirs in many a dead congregation. The same truths have been told in the strictness of the letter, smooth as human oil could make them. But no signs of life, not a pulse throb, all as peaceful as a grave and as dead. The same preacher in the meanwhile receives a baptism of this unction. The divine inflatus in is on him. The letter of the word has been embellished and fired by this mysterious power. And the throbbings of life begin. Life which receives of life which resists. The unction pervades and convicts the conscience and it breaks the heart. This divine unction is the feature which separates and distinguishes the true gospel preaching from all other methods of presenting 
the truth. And which creates a wide spiritual chasm between the preacher who has it and the one who has it not. It supports and impregnates revealed truth with all the energy of God. Unction is simply putting God in His own Word and on His own preachers by mighty and great prayerfulness and by continued prayerfulness. It is all potential and personal to the preacher. It inspires, it clarifies his intellect, it gives insight and grasp and projecting power. It gives to the preacher heart power, which is greater than head power, and tenderness, purity, force, flow from the heart by it. Enlargement, freedom, fullness of thought, directness and simplicity of utterance are the fruits of this unction. What of unction? It is the indefinable in preaching which makes it preaching. It is that which distinguishes and separates preaching from all mere human addresses. It is the divine in preaching. This is our greatest need today or one of our greatest needs today, church. We need people to stand in pulpits and preach and teach with unction. We need people to stand on the Word of God and say, this is what God's Word says. We do not need the opinions of man. We do not need the, the things that we hear of how, how this and how that and how great your life can be. We don't need somebody to give you a pep talk. We need the Word of God. We need to stand on the Word of God. We need preaching to be anointed. We need people, people to preach and teach. We need believers to pray for the preaching to be anointed. We need believers to pray for the pastor and for the teaching to go deep. We need to pray for unction. And when we are a witness and we share the gospel with other people, even if it's only a few sentences that we can manage to speak, we represent Christ to others and we need to be in prayer for unction that it would penetrate that person's life. This is how the gospel was spread in the early days, even by the apostles. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness, it says. If we want revival today, we must speak the Word of God with boldness. And we must trust in the power of God. When God anoints our witness, it doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't even matter how much you're able to say. When God anoints your speech, when you trust in the power of God, there is no hurdle too high for the Holy Spirit to jump. None. You could sit there and babble. And if it's anointed by God, it will pierce that person's heart. You could sit there and fumble over your words and stutter. If it's anointed by God, it will pierce 
that person's heart. Jonathan Edwards used to stand in the pulpit and read his sermons like this. You ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? People were falling out into the aisle, weeping and crying and running down front before he even finished as he read them. It's God. Church, we have to stop trusting in our own power and our own methods and our own way of doing things. And we have to trust in the power of God. Listen to what J. Edwin Orr writes concerning the second evangelical awakening that happened in Northern Ireland in 1859. This is what he said, The townsfolks of Coleraine in the part of the country dairy close to the county Antrim Revival Centers witnesses some of the most amazing scenes in the whole movement in Ireland. A schoolboy, under deep conviction of sin, seemed to incapable of continuing his studies that the kindly uh, teacher sent him home in the company of another boy that was already converted. On the way home, the boys noticed an empty house and entered into the house to pray. At last, the unhappy boy found peace and returned immediately to the classroom to tell his teacher. He said, I am so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. This innocent testimony had its effect on the class. And boy after boy slipped outside. The schoolmaster standing on something to look out of the window observed the boys kneeling in prayer around the schoolyard, each one apart. The master was overcome and so he asked the converted schoolboy to comfort the people. Soon the whole school was in strange disorder and the clergymen were sent in for for the remainder of the day to deal with seekers after peace, schoolboys and schoolgirls and teachers and parents and neighbors. The premises been thus occupied until 11 o'clock that night. On June 7, 1859, an open-air meeting was held on Far Hill to hear on these two, one or two of these two converts. And so many thousands attended that it was deemed advisable to divide the crowd into separate meetings each aforetested by an evangelical minister of one denomination or another. The people stood motionless until the very last moment. When an auditor cried in distress, several others likewise became prostrated, bewildering the ministers who, having no similar experience previously, scarce knew how to help the distressed in soul and body. The clergymen spent all night and spiritual ministrations. And when the sun arose, the following day was spent in the same manner. It's the power of God. Remember what that schoolboy said? I am so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. That's all he said. And the beginnings of a revival take place. Church, we trust in the power of God. It must have seemed like to the observers of Jonah that, he, that a dead man had returned to life. One sentence, anointed by the Spirit of God, and Nineveh was awakened. 
One sentence from a little boy in Coleraine. And Coleraine was awakened. Do you trust in the power of God? You see, I'm convinced that so often we don't share the Gospel because we don't trust in the power of God. Don't you understand that one sentence from your mouth anointed by the power of God can cause a dead man to come alive? One sentence. That's the power of God. If we were to study the history of revivals, we would see the power of God at work. However, if we were honest, we would know that even in our own individual conversion, it happened in the same way with some words from someone and God took him and to use them to use those words to arrest our soul. And it may be something that you heard in a sermon or maybe it was something that you heard from a family member. Who knows? But it was also the words of a faithful witness. Maybe they were stumbling over the words. We don't know. They were trying to get to what they wanted to say. But God uses the words to bring someone to Him. Every single one of us that has come to know Christ as our Savior has come because God used someone's words. The time, the place, the words, what they said, our spiritual condition, was all used by God to bring us to the kingdom of God. You know, I remember growing up in church as a young boy. I remember walking down the aisle one, one night. I wanted a way out of my life. My dad was a drunk. He was abusive. We were dirt poor. I hated my life. We'd go into the dump and rummage for stuff. That was my life. After my mom and dad got a divorce, she worked three jobs just so we could have food on the table. I remember the service. I remember it was an emotional service. I remember I prayed a prayer. And I was told that night, you're saved. But I never believed it. I had doubt. I lived with doubt for a very long time. I would go and talk with pastors and I'd ask them about my doubts. I'd ask them about being saved. And they'd always ask me the same thing. Was there ever a time in your life when you said this prayer? And I, of course I'd say, yeah. I prayed that prayer all the time. That sinner's prayer. And that, those pastors, they were well-meaning, I'm sure. They would declare me, say, well, you're saved, son. Don't worry about it. However, I clearly remember the day when I finally spoke to a pastor and for the first time in my life I got advice I'd never received before. And when he told me, go home and pray and ask God if you know Him. That's all he said. Go home and pray and ask God if you know Him. And those words spoken by Ron Mills changed my life forever. God used him. He used my situation. He used it all to bring me to his kingdom. God anointed Ron's words. And all it took was one sentence. And church, I'm here to tell you, all God needs is a sentence. And he takes it. And he uses it to touch people's lives. Our witness should be inspired by that. Our witness, we should walk out of these church doors inspired that all it takes is one sentence. It doesn't depend on you. If only we'd get that through our head. 
Someone's salvation does not depend on you. I don't care what other Southern Baptist pastors are preaching. That's not the Word of God. Someone's salvation, if it depended on you, they would be lost and go to hell every single time. It doesn't depend on you, but it depends on the power of God. And we trust in God's power as we go around proclaiming what God tells us to proclaim. That should give us hope. It's not dependent on me. And so Jonah, armed with his message, walked through the streets of Nineveh. His preaching wasn't perfect, but he spoke with direct application to, to those that God wanted to hear. And he brought to Nineveh the message that God had told him to deliver, and God prepared him for this ministry. And God chose him, and God had risen him up to be a witness to the Ninevites, and God spoke to Jonah the word that he needed to hear, and in his grace, he spoke to Jonah the word that Nineveh needed to hear, and he prepared him for the task. And now Jonah, with the words of the Lord, as the great theologian John Owen would one day write, the word can only come with power to our hearers when it has come with power to our own hearts. Jonah knew the word of God. It came with power to his heart. Is Jonah still rebellious? Yeah, we're going to find that out. But the word of God came with power to the heart of Jonah and it's released in power to the hearers. Church, you want revival? It begins by spreading God's Word. We can talk about revival all we want. We can sit down and have little Bible studies on revival. We can, we can say, well, what did the other churches do to spring revival? What happened? How did revival come about? We can walk into any Christian book store today and look at the shelves filled. How to grow your church. Double your church size in however many days. I've read them. Breaking this barrier. Breaking that barrier. How can your church be 500 people? We can sit and have meetings and we can talk about how it is that this church, how First Baptist Church of Washington can grow. Let me tell you how revival begins and how churches grow and how God gets His Word out. It starts by the spreading of the Word of God. And we need revival. Imagine if Washington, Illinois experienced revival. Imagine if it started with you proclaiming one sentence to somebody that needed to hear it. The message is simple. and We trust in the power of God. Are you committed? Has God's Word come in power to your heart this morning? Are you being used by God to proclaim the Gospel? It's that simple. And so I just ask you this morning, as we prepare our hearts for a time of decision, I ask you, has God's Word come in power to your heart? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you placed your faith in Him and you're 100% sure you're going to heaven? 
If not, I'm going to be standing down there. Maybe it was one sentence in this message that revealed to you that you're lost. I'll be standing right down front. Just come and grab my hand and say, Pastor, I'm lost. And I'll talk with you afterwards. Maybe this morning you're not committed to revival because you're not spreading God's Word and you're not dependent upon God's power to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you say, Pastor, I don't, I don't know how or I don't know where to start, just come and ask me. I mean, if you really don't know where to start, just come and say, Pastor, I don't, I don't know where to start. I challenge you this morning, if you're not committed to revival, if you're not proclaiming God's word by the power of God, then, then I just challenge you to pray. I challenge you to repent this morning. You can do that in your pew. You can come down and say, Pastor, I'm not doing that, and I need to repent, and I'll pray with you. You can come up here and pray. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying repent because it is sin. And so I challenge you this morning, if God has spoken to you, I challenge you to respond this morning. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. If you feel like you need to respond to that message, we want to give you that opportunity. Let's close a prayer.